Yeah, this is Radio Rhett, the legend, Cronkite, gone, voice of authority. He had it. He comforted us every night. The idea that someone could wrangle the world each night and boil it down to a sensible, digestible half hour was very comforting to all of us. I grew up on Cronkite. He died, uh, I don't know, the other day, what was it, uh, age 92 over the weekend. Uh, President Barack Obama put it Friday night, Cronkite's legendary assessment of Vietnam's quagmire uh, the one that led Lyndon Johnson to lament, if I've lost Cronkite, I've lost Middle America, is often cast as a barometer of the anchor's power at the time. Uh, Peter Lund was like everyone else in America, watching veteran journalist Walter Cronkite deliver the news that President John F. Kennedy had been shot. A few years later, he would be Cronkite's boss, becoming the CEO of CBS News. How are you, Peter Lund? I'm good, Rhett. Good morning to you. Thanks for taking our phone call today. Happy to be with you. So how did you, uh, first of all, um, how did you end up becoming the president and CEO of uh, CBS News? What's your background, Peter? I started at, uh, probably like yours, Rhett, I started a little radio station in uh, Pierce, South Dakota. Really? As a reporter, and I was a journalism student at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul and worked at a radio station when I was in college and ultimately started in a little radio station in South Dakota, went to a television station in uh, Sioux Falls, and then went to Minneapolis and in the radio business, and then moved 13 times Now uh, San Diego, Washington, D.C., and all over the place, and ended up at CBS in 1977. But, but being an administrator is far different than being a reporter. How did that thing happen? Uh, oh, I don't know. At these little tiny stations, right, as you remember, you did a little bit of everything. Yeah. I, at Pierce, South Dakota, I was a... I, I would go out in the morning and and uh, sell ta sell commercials, and I'd come in and do the noon news, weather and sports, and disc jockey on Saturday, and sports reporter. And so you, you did a little bit of everything, and somehow I happened to uh, segue into the administrative side, <clears throat> probably because I wasn't going to be a very good uh, reporter. Well, anyway, you ended up, it sounds like me, that's what I do. I sell my own time and have to run around and do everything. But, of course, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'll end up being president of CBS News. Things have certainly changed. Let's go back. Let's talk about Walter, though. I did get to speak to him on the phone up in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, his his lady, uh, Margaret, was it Margaret? What's her name? The lady that was his, like his... His witch? Pardon me? I'm sorry, his what? His witch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, I went to see her in New York, and she would never... I don't know if she just didn't like me, or she said, well, this, this interview is important. Marlene. Marlene. And she said, well, this interview is Well, I think, Marlene was, I think Marlene's role was to uh, keep inquisitive types of, like you away from Walter. Which, and then I ended up going to Martha's Vineyard, and, uh, of course, I, I ended up talking to Betsy, his wife, on the phone. She yells out, Walter, you're, you know, your fans are on the line, and, and uh, she had a great sense of humor. And I guess he did, too, behind the scenes, right? But anyway, he ended up offering me an interview. I stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning reading his biography, autobiography in its entirety, underlining, highlighting. And then in the morning, he said he had spoken to the Marlene, and she, I guess, turned, turned him the other way and said, well, I understand you've been you know, pushing for this for quite a while. I've decided I'm going to go out on my sailboat, and I never got the interview, and I was really hurt. But anyway, uh, you said you, uh, some things I read about you. You said that Cronkite had a good sense of humor behind the scenes. Very good sense of humor. He 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 was a uh, uh, he enjoyed uh, telling stories and uh, listening to stories and and was and was had a genuinely good sense of humor. Now in those days, he especially, had, especially after he had a cocktail, uh -huh. like many of us. Now in those days, he had uh, upwards of eight. 
18 million viewers. There, were all, there was only NBC, CBS, and ABC back then. That's great, yes. And that was now, uh, of course, the Internet seems to be changing. You know that over 100 million people say they get their news mostly from the Internet? I, too. I go to VeroNews.com. That's where I get my local news now. Yep. Uh, do you, do you, uh, how about you, being the former president of CBS, do you get most of your news off the Internet now? Well, I still watch. I, I'm, uh, I still watch the, uh, the CBS Evening News, and, and, uh, but, I, but clearly, like everybody else, it's within the, in the day of 24-hour cable news, if you're, if you're curious or interested in what's going on, uh, there's a place to find it right now. You don't have to wait. Yeah, do you think they made a mistake with Katie Couric? Oh, I don't know. I think school's probably still out on that, Rhett. Uh, it's a, it's it's hard to know. I, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a long slog, and and uh, I I wouldn't want to pass judgment yet. And that's the way it is. Uh, tell us what what would you like the listeners to know in in memorial of two. I, I presume you two became friends after the years. I'm right? sorry, what say again? I'm, I presume you and Walter Cronkite became friends after working together those years. Yes. What would you like the listenership to know about Walter that they may not know that you have privy to? Well, I think you've, I mean, I, I suspect that anybody who's uh, watched television or listened to the radio or uh, read newspapers in the last days since Waller died has heard about every planet possible about him, and, and I think they're all, they're all true in terms of the most trusted man in America and Uncle Walter and all those things. But I, I always thought one of the interesting things about Walter, well, one of the things you mentioned, and that was that he had a terrific sense of humor, which by necessity you wouldn't see uh, on an evening news broadcast, but... Uh, the other thing I always thought that was interesting about Waller was that he was extraordinarily competitive. Not a surprise when you think about it, because it's a competitive business, but Waller was very much wanted to be first. He wanted to be first in getting the story. He wanted to be first in making sure the story was right. And he wanted to be first in the ratings. Very competitive man. Not, not, this was not... It maybe belied his, uh, his countenance as a... Uh, especially as he got older, as a grandfatherly or uncle-type uh, uh, person who was there to comfort you, he, he very much wanted to be the best and to be number one. He no. was, there was, as I said to somebody the other day, he, he uh, Waller certainly had a, had a significant ego, as most people who are, achieve that status do, but, and I thought he always thought he had his ego in check, uh, and, he, and it, 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 wasn't, it didn't run amok, but, but, but Waller was a very competitive man. But you've also been quoted as saying that he had a, a calming manner and that he was never frantic. I find that surprising. Never frantic, always calm. That, well, that's true, and he was always calm on the air, as we know, and that was one of his great attributes uh, and, and certainly was one of the reasons that he became the most trusted man in America because in the face of civil unrest or presidential assassinations or wars in foreign countries or things that were that were uh, especially troubling to the populace in the, in the, in the 70s. The Waller's calmness gave, I think, all of us a feeling that, well, somehow everything was going to be okay because Waller seemed calm. But that was his persona off the air, too. He was a very calm person, even in the hectic fray of a day-to-day -day newsroom. Okay, I think that Commissioner Gary Wheeler has a question, Peter. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a comment and then a couple of questions that I'd like to ask you. But I, I know I was 16 when President Kennedy got assassinated, and I remember uh, uh, physically being moved by the emotion that uh, Walter Cron Cronkite showed when he when he was covering that, when it came through. And, and uh, in fact, they showed clips of it, which brought back vivid memories uh, this week on, on various channels. But my question is, is First, is it is it our perception, or 
are, are, in your opinion, are journalists much more subjective today than than they were in in, in Walter's uh, uh, career? Uh, you know, back then when you watched the nightly news, whether it was him or David Brink, whoever, you got the feeling. Of course, I was a young man then, and I saw things differently. But you got the feeling that that they the the the, the journalists were much more objective and fair, like particularly through World War Two and and uh, uh, Korea and so on and so forth. And it seems like, you know, they they started doing a lot more editorializing than just reporting the facts and 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 letting you. You decide, or, or, or as some stations say, fair and balanced. So, what but, is your question? But that's the question: Is do you, do you, do you think that we, that uh, journalists are as objective today as they were 30 years ago? Well, I think it's. I, I mean, I think you're 100 percent right in your observation, Gary. Um, I mean, clearly, back in Walter's day, the the mantra for all journalists was ob- objectivity, and and in and in no case should you let your own uh, personal opinions uh, enter into the story. And in fact. It, you know, fam- Walter famously did it one time in his career in when he editorialized on the on the Vietnam War after he came back. But that was not on the CBS Evening News. It's it's, right. it's oftentimes forgotten that that was a that was a special report, a CBS uh, special report on Vietnam, and Walter did did venture his opinion at the end. But it, yeah, I mean, today it is the landscape is so much different, Gary. And what clearly what's happened here is with the multiplicity of channels with 15 or 20 or 10 or pick a number of, of news-oriented channels all trying to find their place in the sun, it's become, um, I would say, almost at least the, the, the feeling of the people that run these channels and that are on the air, it's it become a necessity in their mind that you have, to have, you have to be opinionated because you have to shout louder than the other person or be more dramatic than the other person. So, so yeah, I think it's changed, uh, I mean, 180 degrees. We're, what we're you, now why, why, why is it, why is it, why, well, I mean, like Hannity, the guy just interrupts everybody, and I just, I think it irritates, <laughs> just, just irritates, uh, just irritates us. Obviously, you're a hero. <laughs> no, I mean, he, I mean let, let, if a liberal comes on, let the liberal have, have his point of view, you know? Well, I understand. And, you know, just I want to hear the other side. It's like a, the proverbial spring. You stretch it out, it never goes all the way back. You know? It's kind of like what I'm hearing you say is, is that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, news broadcasting today is more into marketing than objectivity. Yes, I think that's a fair statement. I mean, because they're all trying to, they're all trying to carve out a niche. Well, if you, and and to, to use a, a couple of examples that close to the one, the Hannity example that Red just talked about, when you, if, you, if you think about Bill O'Reilly and Keith Oberman, they spend uh, a, a large amount of time talking about their ratings versus the other person's ratings. Right. The two of them are always talking about how, you know, in some fashion or another, more people are listening or watching them than the other person. They don't ever talk about, I mean, and I think I can actually say ever, they don't ever talk about how they better covered a story or how they did a better journalistic job. They simply talk about the ratings, which I think is, is pretty telling in terms of where they're going. I mean, it's all about how can I get better ratings than the other person. Okay, so. That is clearly the measurement for success in cable news. Now, yeah, so we're, I mean, we should make a distinction yeah. between cable news where these guys are, are, are all trying to carve out a niche. I, I think in the three evening network news broadcasts, those are still straightforward broadcasts with, with – uh, 
Charlie Gibson and Brian Williams and Katie Curry. Okay, so where do you think we're going next? Do you have your do you have your thumb on the pulse? What's 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 next? I don't I don't know that I think it's I think it's just a continuation of where we are now, Red. I mean, I suppose there'll be I don't know that there's any any apocalyptic or cataclysmic change coming. I, I mean, I, I don't see any. Um, I, I think what we see is what we got. The, the, the network newscasts will continue to erode because of the 24-hour news cycle so that one has to wonder if 10 years from now there even will be network news broadcasts, a half-hour network news broadcast. But uh, clearly those, those broadcasts have lost viewers every year. And, and, and because of the accessibility of, of cable news, and the 24-hour cycle, I would suspect that those those entities will continue to grow. And because of that, I think we'll see so-called opinionated journalism uh, become more the norm. I think, you know, one of the things that I, I at least from my perspective, I've observed, and I, I watch Fox and CNN, and I also watch every night one of the nightly news, and I switch around to try and get the whole story, because a lot of stuff isn't reported in the half-hour program that's reported on the other programs. Surely. But, but another question for you. You know, in order to be humorous, there has to be a hint of truth to it. And and if you take Saturday Night Live and some of the skits they did about the media, and particularly NBC at the time, uh, and the way they covered Obama and the debates and all that stuff, and showing favoritism, but if, you know, it seemed fairly obvious to me anyway that that the coverage toward Obama by the networks, particularly were pretty favorable, and I think that's why Saturday Night Live picked up on it and made an issue about it. But the, that's the question. Do you, do you think that they showed favoritism in, in the presidential election toward Obama because of their political beliefs? Well, I mean, having been there, I, I would say that uh, if they did, it wasn't intentional. Okay. I don't think any network news president or network news room uh, sets out to... To, with a with a uh, goal of being uh, of showing favoritism to somebody or one side or the other, I, I I think it may happen, but I think it happens because of the circumstances as opposed to a as, as opposed to a. Now uh, hold on, Peter. Peter, I got to say this though: not with Katie Couric and what she did yeah. with President George Bush Senior. Ah 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 Was that what she did with what? Well, George Bush Senior. In what regard? Oh, uh, remember what was the whole thing about when he was so miffed off? I had an, I had an appointment to have an interview with him. I went all the way up to Kenny Bunkport, and the Secret Service said, "Sorry, he's not going to see you or any media. He's miffed at Katie Kirk." Remember what she was, so, and then she pulled the whole what she pulled with Sarah Palin, making her look like an idiot. Well, now what? We, we are we going to have a political debate? Because I would, <laughs> I would say that I would say that Sarah Palin uh, uh, was was complicit in in that uh, idiot. Uh, yeah. Opportunity. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with somewhat there. I agree with it. Listen, I want to ask I mean, you. That's not, that was not a one-sided speech. That's well, true. Let me ask you this. I want to know what what, what was your greatest challenge? Did, did you feel that power when there were only three networks and you got 18 million people a night watching your broadcast? You're the man in authority over Walter Cronkite. That's quite. Or quite, Dan Rather. Or Dan or Rather. Dan Rather. That's, in my case. Are you responsible for him? That's quite. Uh, Dan, <laughs> uh, Dan I, I, I was there when Dan was on the air. Yes. Well, I, you know, wait a second. Anyway, let's not get into all that, okay? Uh, I want to say this, though. That, that's wielding a lot of power at that time. You yes, had you to... felt the responsibility. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I don't, there's no question about it. I, you, in, in, many, in many regards, you would feel responsible. Don't you cringe, though, when you see some of these guys like, uh, 
Uh, I know. I know. All the conservatives love this guy. Who's the guy that's on Fox at night? Uh, Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. I mean, he he throws out these uh, these uh, aspersions and castigating people. Recently, called another news service that they didn't cover a thing, and I saw the response, and they had covered this thing. I mean, you know, this guy's all, this guy's all about the numbers too. Well, I agree. I think it's yes, I cringe, but you know, O'Reilly used to work for me. I knew him. He worked at when I ran a. The CBS television station in New York, O'Reilly worked for it. Oh, you mean you knew him before he was arrogant? I knew I knew him before he was famous, and and Riley Riley sort of reinvented himself. How tall is but he? He's a showman. He is tall. He's about he's I'm six foot two six, and a half. And he's about six four, six I'm, five. Well, six three, six four. Yeah. Now, oh, what, what, tell us about it's, uh, just if you don't mind, since we have you on the line, Peter, and, I, I, and whatever we say, I hope it doesn't keep us from you and I getting together and doing an intimate one on one on Cronkite and yourself, because I do want to uh, really spend some intimate time with you and get this from my audience in the future. But um, I, 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 I'm, I'm 55, and it just flew well, out of my head. Can I ask a question? Yeah. 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 Thank, thank you. Uh, I had the great pleasure of meeting Walter Cronkite uh, one time at the Republican Governors Conference in, uh, that they held in, in Palm Beach, and he was he was very kind, even though he was trying to get things ready for his show. Um, and I remember him as a, as, as a child watching. That's what we all watched also, and, and he was the person that, that everybody believed. But I, I was kind of disturbed after he left the air to find out how close he was to the Kennedys. Did did uh, for, well, that's the Martha's Vineyard connection, right? Yep. Well, you know, they used to go sailing together. They yep. used to, you know, so there. I, I well, he went sailing with Clinton too. If you saw some of the reports the other day, right, right. Clinton, so, because Clinton vacationed to Martha's Vineyard, I, I think that's a. It never disturbed me because I think Walter, like journalists of his era were absolutely capable of separating whatever personal feelings they had from how they reported the news. I mean, clearly, Walter Kennedy was moved when President Kennedy was assassinated, but I, I, I don't think that was because of a, of a relationship with Kennedy as much as it was a tragedy of, an, of a presidential assassination. Well, did, I, that, did that harm I mean, Walter would, because Walter could go down and have a cup of coffee with LBJ, or go down and have a cup of coffee with... I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure that he ever had a cup of coffee with Nixon, but Waller was very comfortable. I mean, Waller was a reporter. At heart, Waller was a reporter. It's what he liked to do. So he was on the phone every day talking to, to sources and people he could talk to. Well, Peter, I, I think just like in, in what you did as, as CEO, I mean, you know, I, I was a CEO of 400 people here, which is a little different than what you were. But the bottom line is, as friend or foe, you've got to be objective, and I think that a lot of people are capable of making good decisions and being objective, whether you like someone or dislike someone. And I think people like Walter well, Conkite But what's missing in today's world is a code of honor. We've lost honor in the banking business. We've lost honor in Wall Street. We've lost honor in Enron. We've lost honor everywhere, honor among politicians. Wouldn't you agree, Peter? We, we're lacking morals today. Well, we certainly have had, yes, we've had, we've, we, we certainly have had uh, some problem in that area. Well, listen. Charlie, to your point about Walter, I think yeah. it was... In, in, in Waller vis-a-vis -vis Kennedy, I mean, it, it would be Kennedy vacation at Martha's Vineyard. Kennedy was a uh, sailor. They had a, you know, they they had places that were not too far from each other. So they had there would be no way if you were Walter Cronkite and or if you were a reporter yeah. that you wouldn't want to have access to the president of the United yeah, States. Let, let me explain something. And, and I honestly believe that if that if Richard Nixon or Ronald Reagan w was geographically yeah. in the same place yeah. that Walter would have made every effort to 
have the same relationship. Yeah, yeah. Now, let me explain something. I've I've rented a home many summers up on Martha's Vineyard. There's something called island, an island thing that happens. It's exactly. The, it's the reason that Mike Wallace, when so I met, all together up there. invited me to come to his house. And when you're on island time, it's just like yep. when, you, when you're on a boat and you go by somebody else with a boat, you wave to each other. Right. When you're on an island, the barriers come down. Yes. And you all connect. And yeah. that's, that's why I was on the phone with Walter Cronkite up there. That's why I was invited to Mike Wallace's home or with yeah. Carly and Simon. That's why, that's why Clinton went sailing with Walter. Right. Because the vacation right. Martin's now listen, made sense. Peter, we're about out of time with this okay. segment. So uh, in case somebody's just tuned in, we're talking with Peter Lund. He's the former CEO, um, president of uh, CBS News. Just no, to, CBS, and, not News. Okay, CBS. And um, in the future, hopefully you and I are going to get together and do an intimate one-on-one that I can – a recorded session we can put on the blog. But – for today, in remembering Walter Cronkite, uh, what would you like the people who just tuned in to remember best about the man you worked with for all those years? Well, I guess I, I, I would I would say that the the one of the fascinating and tr- things about Walter Cronkite and the truism is that that the man that you saw on the air and that we grew up with as the most trusted man in America was the same person off the air. He was he was really a good guy. I mean, at the end of the day, um, how any of us are remembered uh, has to do with, I, I guess, what we did in life in our work area or with our family. But Waller was truly a good guy. All right. Well, Peter, I hope to talk with you again soon. Thanks. Okay, for, gentlemen. Thanks for taking our phone call. What an honor. Nice to you all. Have thank a you. Day. Thank you. Thanks.